Hey friends, we are so excited for you to listen to this episode, but we also want to acknowledge that our sound is just a little bit more rough than it normally is, because Kirsten is calling in to record this episode. So stick with it, give it a listen, we know you're going to love it, and we'll be back with our normal sweet sound next episode. Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we are joined by the U.S. Surgeon General who has written about workplace wellness. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are delighted that you have joined us today. Karina and I are in different spaces. I'm as, you know, as I often am or sometimes am. Krina's call-in guest. So I'm Krina's <laughs> call-in guest today. And we want to amend our land acknowledgement. So Krina, you start with your land. Yes. The land that you're on. So our listeners know that we always do a land acknowledgement and frequently say that we're on the lands of the Coast Salish people. But I was reading recently about how the term Salish has actually been co-opted by the Anglos. And Coast Salish is actually not a way that our local First Nations identify themselves. And so I would love to offer that I am recording from the traditional lands of the Lummi Nation. Specifically. 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 You know, I love this, that we like continue to, to learn and to know more and to get a broader understanding of where our white culture, you know, has overwhelmed, you know, overtaken. Yeah. Um, the culture of others. Like, this is a great opportunity for that. I am actually on the traditional lands of the Agua Caliente Band of the Cahuija Indian Nation. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I love that. I love the chance mm-hmm. to learn and acknowledge and change and, yeah, be who uh, we want to be in this world. That's fun. Speaking of who continue to do it differently. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of who we want to be, uh, we should also let our listeners know that we want you all to be happy and joyful and full of ease in your job. Cause that's, that's why we're here. That's why we do this podcast every day, every day. <laughs> I don't know why that came out. Although we do work on it nearly every day. I do. We do work on it every day, but we are, we continue to be really grateful for listeners who join us because they want their work to have more ease, meaning and joy. Yeah. I love that. Right. Yes. Like Sally. Okay. There's a woman named Sally who not is not your Sally partner, Sally, but just a community member here in Bellingham who I ran into um, at an event recently and I've, I've known her for a long time. We've sort of moved in similar circles, but we're certainly not like, you know, friends in that traditional way. And she took a, made a point to come find me at an event and tell me that she was a big fan of our show and she's listened to every single one. So I'm just going to say, Sally, thank you for listening. And I hope you like the sticker that I gave you because. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. I totally pulled out a sticker. That's some swag. Some swag. I gave her a sticker and the, her friend a sticker there too. So anyway, which I'm almost out of. I need to order more. And I think I ordered like a thousand. That's great. Yeah. So we got that's the swag. But that's not why. Yeah, we- and I'm going sh- to shout out to Carl, who's one of our listeners as well, who listens to every episode. And I just so appreciate that he listens and then he asks me questions and talks about it. And I said, well, I think as long as people find value out of this, we'll keep doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's gotta be fun. Well, yes. Of course I mean, if it, it, you listen, I mean, it would be fun for us to do if nobody else found value. <laughs> We'd be like, we're having such a good time. I hope somebody else joins us. You listeners have to like it and we have to like it. And, and I'm going to say we can say yes to both of those things so far. So far, so good. So far, so So far, so good. Okay, so today we're talking about this new report that was released. Well, is it a report, briefing, paper, priority that was um, written by the U.S. Surgeon General? And it really caught my eye because essentially, because it's called Workplace Mental Health and Well-Being. And Mm -hmm. the Surgeon General has made this a priority for the nation. For the nation's health. For the nation's health. Like when he looked across, and this is um, 
I think his, it's Vivek Murphy, Dr. Vivek Murphy, when he looked it's across a, I thought it was Murphy. Murphy, yeah. Yeah. With a TH? Sorry, did it sound like, yes, it's, it's a P, it's a, I think it's a PH actually. Oh. Oh. And I know, if we want to get specific, I think it might be a PH if I, my recollection is correct. No, it's a TH, you're right, it's a TH, Murphy. Okay, so what I was going to say is though that when he looked across the entire nation and all of the issues that impact the health of Americans, um, whether it be substance abuse or the opioid crisis or, you know, COVID, pandemic, preparing for pandemic, obesity, uh, reproductive health, loneliness, you know, all of the things, right? this is, this is what he comes up with. And I'm so, it's just so affirming to me that, that, he and his team see this issue the same way you and I see it. Yeah. It's really an affirming thing when somebody who's like smart and important and has like five letters after their name thinks that this is a deal. Yeah. And sees the importance of what is happening at work and how Mm -hmm. that impacts the, our lives, like you said, our health and our nation. In fact, he wrote a pretty decent letter. I'm going to say fairly decent letter at the beginning of this report, really essentially. Hey, before we dig into this report, yeah. because we're just about ready to just like start. Oh, I'm know, ready. I'm ready. Getting into it. Can we talk about that? And I want to talk about this article that you sent me. Oh, yeah. About more spaces, more public spaces for teen girls, because I just don't want to lose track of this today. As excited as I am about the. Surgeon General's report. I was just amazed by this, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this never crossed my mind. Oh, me too. That's why I sent it to you. Okay, so non sequitur, just sort of backing up a teeny bit. You're right. Thank you for not glossing over that. Uh, it's a. It was an article that came across my desk, um, and I sent it to you. It's basically saying we need more public spaces for teenage girls. And I had never, like you said, we'd, I'd never, I'd never considered this either, that the public spaces that we design are all, are almost always male centric. And that's not this. And, and, and that what they cited was basketball courts, you know, pump tracks, skate parks, parks etc. which, you know, of course, young girls, teenage girls use, but they went on to say, even more so. But not to the degree they said that, 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 that boys do. Right. And, and in fact, the thing that girls really crave, as much as they do enjoy those sports, they crave public spaces where they can meet and gather and talk and share and engage with each other. And their two teenage girls are too kind of young for the playground and too old for the coffee shops and restaurants. And so we sort of leave them out. And it was so fascinating to the, and, and then, and this article also then referenced a public space that was done particularly well for young girls. And that surprised even the, the artist who installed it. And you said this morning, you got to look at it, Kirsten. And then where is it? Chicago? Actually, this it was in Boston, and what it is is I think it originally started as an art installation, and it's these kind of round, hanging structures that light up at night. And what they found is that teen girls are sitting on them, swinging, hanging out, talking. So these spaces for girls, for teen girls, that they're talking about creating is like how do you encourage Courage, physical activity, like and swinging, climbing, hanging out, uh, maybe an outdoor sheltered space. But it was so fascinating to me to read about this and to think, well, actually, sometimes when teen girls go to the pump track and the skate parks, they actually end up being subject to some unwanted behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no, like, this is about providing safe spaces for teens to do the things they want to do that are different than skate parts, basketball courts, all that stuff. And I was like, wow, it's just so, it continues to amaze me how our society is so structured for males. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, you know, at my age and stage of life, I'm like, really, I don't get all this all. I mean, I don't understand it all. And I clearly don't. And there is a, a, a book is cited in this article about data bias 
between men and women. And I actually have ordered the book so that I can read it because I thought the, I was like, as soon as I saw the article, I was like, as soon as I saw the book reference, I'm like, I'm going to read this. So, I mean, it's a, it's just a really interesting and good and refreshing and exciting concept to happen in public spaces. Yeah. And I, 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 a can't wait to hear, um, what you read about in that book. Notice how I didn't say I can't wait to read that book because you know me. But the other thing I cannot <laughs> I cannot wait. Oh, no. The other thing I was going to say is um, I forwarded this article to our local parks to head of parks, who's a friend of mine, a parks director. And she said, yep, the new park that we have coming into town that they're currently developing will have spaces for young and teenage girls based on this data and this research and this article. So kudos to, it's so great. isn't that great? Um, and, kudos, yeah. Kudos to our local parks department too. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I love the fact that that, that is so fascinating to me. And that article has made me think about all the other things that again, like you said, are designed specifically for women. In fact, mm-hmm. I think that would be a great show. I mean, we, I think that would be, it would be a great show. In fact, I'm going to take a note. I'm going to take a note when we're done recording. But, take a note. Karina. But we should take a note. we should probably get to the Surgeon General because he's been waiting in the wings to join us. He's been waiting in the wings to come in. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you started with one of my very favorite things about that report, which was his letter yeah. to the public. And the thing about the letter that I liked so much was his reference to his own parents. Yeah. He talked about... You know, my parents, like so many other people, were drawn to this country, me, the United States. They were immigrants by the opportunities it offered, working, learning, growing, to be happy and healthy, to belong and to matter. And I was like, wow, that is why people want to come here, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To work, to learn, to grow, be happy, healthy, to belong and to matter. Yes. And so he goes on to talk about workplaces that have so much power to provide those opportunities where everybody is better off. And just really, he acknowledged how much his parents got meaning and connection to community, to each other, to their family through their work. Yeah. And I, 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 it's just a beautiful letter. I agree with you. And I think it echoes the things that we've been talking about for years now that, you know, a lot of these things we were, that work has always and will always Um, be an opportunity for us to support people's mental health and provide community. And even more so now where other institutions Mm -hmm. are less um, a part of people's lives, like church, for Mm -hmm. instance, and Mm -hmm. which, you know, serves that purpose as well. And I also um, think that, you know, we're, as we know, COVID has had an impact on, on our mental health too. So we've got this overlay of sort of the, the community that people would traditionally lean on for some of these things is getting smaller and our need for connection, our need to be happy and healthy, our need to belong is matters more and more and more because of the times that we're living in, frankly. So, yeah, I love that the Surgeon Mm -hmm. General is now saying, okay, people, we have to prioritize mental health in the workplace. Um, It's a matter of national health. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think, though. And they start out the report, I mean, I think very appropriately, by, like, surveying the landscape, right? And the data that they cite is very much the data that we have talked about over and over again with regard to, you know, kind of the state, the mental health state of the American workplace. Um, They cited a report by Mental Health America that over of the 11,000 workers that they surveyed across 17 industries in the United States, nearly 80% of workers surveyed reported that their workplace created stress effects in their relationships with family, coworker, friends. So they were experiencing, 80% are experiencing stress in their relationships. Yep. I did find it interesting though, that of that 80, those 80% of workers surveyed that only 38% of them would use mental health services um, or would feel comfortable using mental health services if they were available to them. So, you know, so that tells mm-hmm. me that we're feeling the stress, but we're not feeling particularly comfortable accessing the resources. Again, even more important to create conditions within the workplace that reduce stress. There was also some data. And again, like you said, this is the stuff that we've cited kind of time and time again. But 
a recent separate survey in 2021 um took a look at workers, you know, kind of across all sectors and found similar results. 76% of respondents reported at least one symptom of a mental health condition, which is an increase of like 17 percentage points in the last two years. So again, data says what we've all been feeling and what we've all been seeing, which is we're more stressed. We're more, we're Mm -hmm. feeling the effects, mental health effects of stress and it's manifesting at work and it's manifesting in our really or impacting our relationships in and outside of work. I think this is also mm-hmm. kind of a time I just want to pause and say, you know, this report is so rich. Clearly we will link to it in our show notes so you can read it yourself. And we're going to try to do as high of a flyover as we possibly can. And still we're going to have to be kind of curse quick about it because there's so much good data mm-hmm. and information in it it's so much it's really dense yeah it's really dense but i do think that you know it's worth noting that sort of then because the surgeon general is saying this is such a problem he goes on to then outline what can we do about it and he does it using mm-hmm. five specific components and under each component talks about how what which basic human needs are being met by that component and so that's kind of the way that we've structured um, our notes to talk about this is just really kind of go through the report and talk about again these five components and then the human needs that are being addressed by them and how in the workplace you can start to make the shift. No, I think that's a really, that's a really good way to, to, to frame it, Karina. And I, and what I, let's, let's just start out with the first one, which is protection from harm. Yeah. Which recognizes the human needs for safety and security. And I love that he started with this because I I think we all have this assumption that our workplace is safe and secure. I mean, we completely recognize that there are, you know, jobs and careers that have safety risks, convenience store workers, gas station workers, fire, law enforcement, security, you know, uh, people in the emergency room. So, so there are, I think, folks that face some potential physical harm in their workplace, but for most of us, we go to work, that's not something we expect. However, I think what he's saying is that's an assumption. That is an assumption that some people that people are making, and we need not to make the assumption that the workplace is safe, yeah. but to really look and see if it really is. We need to look at, is this a safe and healthful workplace? Are people protected from harm, illness, injury? Um, what, what does it look like when people are doing their jobs at their computers or moving things around the office or in the store? This says, wait a minute, don't make this assumption that all of our workplace safety laws and workers' compensation, all of those things make it safety, but really prioritize this, this evaluation of the, of the physical and psychological safety of your workplace. And of course, the psychological really jumped out to me because I think about, I think about bullying, I think about people who are frozen out, I think about all those things that can happen in the workplace that are really big psychological safety issues. Those have been, I mean, I will be honest, like those are things that I feel really aware of, but the, but really digging down into the physical ones, it, we haven't figured that out yet. We still have to pay attention. Yeah. He also says things like, even things like enabling adequate rest and, mm-hmm. you know, normalizing mm-hmm. and supporting mental yes. health is also protection right. from harm. And, um, and, you know, so it's not just like the like ensuring physical and mental or psychological safety in the like practical sense, like am, are, am I physically like are my ergonomics right? It's even more like, yeah, am I able to be here and feel am I able to like ha- even have enough rest breaks or am I able to do I have mm-hmm. enough of a work life balance so that I can go home and sleep well and, and not you know, perseverate yeah. all night long. Um, it, it, it's really, or I think, I think what they, I, I think what they're really pushing on in this one about enabling adequate rest is that you don't have work hours or work expectations that prevent people from getting rest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, do you know what I mean? I do. Like, what are you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other piece in here, which I think comes in really um, appropriately is all the DEI stuff, you know, to, 
to 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 continue to confront structural racism and microaggression, all of those things that really impact our psychological safety in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. You know, again, prioritizing mental health in the workplace, make sure that people feel safe and secure, make sure that they are protected from harm. Do you want to move on to the next one? Connection and community? Um, I do. And my only comment on this, and then I'm going to hand it over to you, (laughs) is that this connection and community and this human need of social support and belonging there's a, in the report, there's this list of other resources for folks, right, to help you accomplish this in your workplace. Yeah. And this one was the skinniest. Yeah, I found that to be really interesting, too. You pointed that out to me when we were talking about this a couple of days ago. And it is interesting because we spent so much time on connection and community. Did you know that the our episode that we did on belonging and how to foster belonging at work was one of our most popular episodes ever? Yeah. Which is, which was in some ways surprising to me, in some ways not. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was really surprising to me. And I I wonder if that's because there's just such a vacuum out there. Like we all want to belong at work, Mm -hmm. but just like this report, kind of the information is pretty skinny. Yeah, so, and um, so again, the second component, connection and community, really, really speaks to our need to have social support and relationships and networks and, you know, both informal and formal that really signal to you that you matter, that you are Mm -hmm. supported, that you are a part of this place. Mm -hmm. And he really focuses on sort of how do you create that? Well, again, you create cultures of inclusion and belonging. You not just say you're welcome here, which is, you know, as you recall, when we talked about this on that last show, you being welcome here means I've created a space for you and you can join me. But when you belong, it means Mm -hmm. we're all equal. We're all here together. And we all have this space. Exactly. Um, he also talks about really taking the time to cultivate relationships, creating space where people are able to cultivate trusted relationships. And that means, you know, normalizing the conversations, the building of social capital in the workplace, the times when people are able to interact with each other, not just around the work, but about around who they are as individuals. And I would Mm -hmm. say, I think the other thing he pointed out was really how fostering collaboration and teamwork can build connection and community. And, you know, which again, supports our human needs for social support and belonging. And I think about teamwork and it's really, collaboration and teamwork is something that I've kind of, learned a lot about um over the years as a leader about how oh my gosh it's your thing well it's your thing collaboration and teamwork is like one of your main things but it's weird because as somebody like I, i my default is i'll just do it my default is just give it to me or, mm-hmm. or I, I, I got it figured out and I could just do it faster. So just let's go. Mm-hmm. But I have been <laughs> trained by my coworkers and peers um, over the years to really see how damaging that is. And, and, and the converse of which is how beneficial it is when people get together and can work together towards a common goal. And so, and that in the long run, that's far better for the outcome, the workplace outcome, whatever it is we're aiming for, and the people engaged or involved, um, so that it it should be prioritized. It's real. It's been a real learning for me. I have to. I mean, obviously, I just said it. I bet I will say it again, because I think you know, if all we're doing is shooting for efficiency, then I'll just take it. Just give me the ball and I'll take it, you know, to the end zone. But if we want a better outcome, a more fulfilling workplace and a more thoughtful and probably um, more effective outcome, fostering collaboration and teamwork is the way to do it with a diverse set of of people. I have been silent over here because, of course, this is one of my big challenges, too, is to really not do it myself, to involve other people, to create teamwork. And I do think I've gotten a lot better at it. But to see in this report, like, 
again, just, you know, neon light. This is like a critical piece to workplace wellness. And the other thing that I don't think we should lose in this conversation is that the Surgeon General's report calls out non-work connection. Like there are lots of opportunities where non-work connection can really build the connection in the workplace. And of course, I love that he recommends like if you're going to do a, like a non-work activity, do community service together. Like there is nothing like doing something together for other people. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, that is a great reminder that if I'm looking to do a team building exercise outside of work, you know, we've done things like go paint together or go, you know, play some kind of a game or a sport together or do a ropes course or, uh, you know, do vision boards together about our lives. But we have, I'm, it just reminds me, wait a minute, maybe this service, maybe it, other than giving money, in addition to giving money, maybe doing a community service project at the team, you know, would that's a great way to go as well. And I, would, that's, I was super glad to see that mm-hmm. because I hadn't thought about that in a really long time. Yeah. And that, that again, builds that community. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of doing things outside of work, the next um, component of this report is really yeah. building work-life harmony. And it's funny because you'll recall the five traits of high achieving women. One of them is wholeness, which is really harkens mm-hmm. to this one, right? Like recognizing that you have a life and allow, allowing outside of work and allowing people to kind of be their whole human inside and outside of work. And I know this one really speaks to you too, Kirsten. I, this one does really speak to me. It, you know, those human needs of autonomy and flexibility. I'll always remember this, but early on in my career, I was talking with a more senior lawyer about the stress of being a lawyer. And she pulled out an article that had been in the local bar magazine, state bar magazine, maybe, about how paralegals and legal assistants really have and experience far more stress in the workplace than lawyers do. And I looked at her and I said, I don't understand that. How could that be? Because I'm the one who's responsible, right? Shouldn't I be the one that has more stress? Hmm. And she said, no. I mean, yes, it's stressful, sure, but you control everything. You decide, you get to decide whether you feel like you have the choice or not, Kirsten, you get to decide what you're going to do, when it's going to be done, and how it's going to be done. So you have a tremendous amount of autonomy and flexibility in the work. Paralegals, legal assistants, all the folks that support you are operating under your decisions. So they have less of that, right? Mm -hmm. And that was such a great thing for me to remember. One, I did have autonomy and flexibility. And two, I needed to provide that for the people that work with me as much as I can because I do have expectations. So how in those expectations can I accommodate their need to work remotely, their need to work flex time, their need to have vacations? Frankly, sometimes their desire not to do a particular kind of work because it was not very rewarding for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your I think that that's a beautiful thing because again, you're creating your, you do have those as a leader and many of us who are Mm -hmm. making decisions about other people's workplaces have the very thing that we need to be creating for our, for our workers. So that, that's a, that was an, that's interesting. And was this early in your career when you read that article? Oh my gosh. It was, it was my, it was my first kind of real job and, and it was in a conversation. And I think just coincidentally that this information had just come out about the different levels of stress in the workplace. But I've even gotten to the point now, like when, like if, like I really want people, I really push people to take their vacation. Yeah. I really push people to be off. Right. And I don't, I don't like to pay out unused vacation because I want people to use it. I don't want them to have an excuse to get an extra paycheck at the end of the year, I really want them to take their vacation, right? Yeah. Um, and I want, when somebody, I don't think I have ever, I know, I know this, I have never, ever in my entire career ever told somebody no, no, they could not take a day off. Yeah, I can't remember ever doing I, that either. Yeah. I mean, to accommodate people's desire to be off when, you know, and to, and then I really think this is a big change in me and I'm going to keep doing it. Clearly, the workforce wants more time off. Mm -hmm. clearly 
Yeah, and people yeah. value that and want more of it. And so that's another way to increase this work-life balance. Yeah. I think it's interesting too. I mean, you know, thinking about the workforce of today, even how it's different than 10 years ago, I understand that this has probably been a need all along. But I also, oh, yeah. right? And this is, you know, we need to be able to honor and see individuals as not just workers, but like as whole humans, and then like respect that and create conditions where they can sort of be the, be them, be themselves at work and express themselves outside of work. And even if that means, you know, caring for a, a family member or the need to take a vacation or the need, like you said, to work flex hours or whatever. But I think that the current workforce, and maybe it's because of COVID, or maybe it's just because of the demographics, um, you know, and our shifting expectations and our and our um, you know, sort of the changing, yeah, the change, the changing demographics are, of our workforce. But I have noticed more in the last couple of years how it, the workplaces who don't tend to the this need to to for autonomy for flexibility for you know routine physical and mental health etc are losing workers at a rapid mm. clip it is one of those places where now i think the workforce is de- is demanding or voting with their dollars or voting with their time or whatever and choosing the workplaces that really allow for this um and it's hard. I think as as an employer, as employers of small with small teams or small shops, it, it's this is a challenge. It's a challenge mm-hmm. to say, okay, everyone can work flex time, or I know that's not within your skill set, or whatever. I know that that's not particularly rewarding, so we're going to find someone else to do that. Well, when there are five of you in the office, it's really hard to do. It's hard mm-hmm. to have one person out consistently because they're having a you know yet another crisis at home. But I remind my clients a a lot that turnover is expensive. The loss of that employee or, you know, if they choose to leave, that's going to be a bigger burden to you than the Mm -hmm. few days or week that you're giving them now or the autonomy or the flexibility Mm -hmm. that you're giving them now. And as the Surgeon General notes, when we are able to tend to these sort of work-life harmony um, and provide these conditions for folks, they're far better workers when they're with us. But it is yeah. it is interesting to me. I, I really think that this is one of those that is an opportunity. If 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 the workplace doesn't shift, you're it's to allow for more of this um, harmony or autonomy or flexibility or whatever it is. You're it you're going to notice you can't you can't hold on to workers. They they're demanding yeah. it. Yeah, and I do want to re- mean that. And the report calls out that really only twenty three percent of civilian workers have paid have paid family leave, right? Yeah. So that benefit is only available to a quarter of people, and frankly, it's really bad in the bottom ten percent of the wage earners. Only seven percent of workers in the bottom seven percent of wage wage earners have paid family have paid family leave. Yeah. So this like this isn't an act a benefit that is accessible to most workers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. In- interestingly, also. Um, I know this is in the next section, but only one third of U.S. workers earn less than $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about this, you know, b- the bottom wage earners are are living paycheck to paycheck um, and don't have access to some of the same paid benefits that the upper 10, you know, the, the um, top 10%. Because it always seemed weird to me, right? Doesn't that just seem weird, Karina? Yeah. Like, you know, everybody, sometimes my clients will say to me, well, we're going to give benefits to our key execs. And I'm like, well, you know, they're already making this. Why aren't you giving these benefits to these people who don't have anything? Right. That has always been a weird thing to me. But that is the way it is. It's like the less money you make, the fewer benefits you have. Right. Which create. And if this is a third of our workforce, literally a third of our workforce is um, stressed out, has is um, financially really struggling and then cannot take time for or um for what they need to take time for outside of work i i mean mm-hmm. it's sort of a no-brainer there's no there's no there's no wonder that there's a significant mental health issue right exactly 
Yeah. That is that is fundamentally an intractable problem that creates, you know, anxiety, stress, and all of the, you know, the other mental health concerns that the that the Surgeon General has articulated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So should we talk about mattering? Yeah. No. We also recently did a show on mattering. Yeah. On so number four. Yeah. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta show your employees or your workers. You have to feel like you matter at work. So that you can have dignity and, yeah, meaning. And, yeah, like you said, mattering and meaning. Jesus, it's like we wrote this. It's like we wrote this report, Kirsten. (laughs) It was, you know, I mean, it did really feel like, ooh, we're on the right track here. And so glad that this is being, you know, it's being raised up, raised up, you know, brought to this level of attention in in our country, in our whole country. It's just a... I mean, I do. I continue to just be like, this is the, yeah, thank you, Dr. Murphy, because this is fantastic. So dignity and meaning. I'm going to just talk a little bit about, I want to, so I went to Parents Weekend to my kiddos college, Santa Clara, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things they do at Parents Weekends is they let you go to classes and professors teach classes, which of course I always do because it's super fun. I just love it so much. And so I went to a class that was taught by Dr. Huaria Jazeri, and she's in the business department, the Levy School of Business, I think. She is a researcher about kind of workplace satisfaction, and her most recent um, research focuses on gratitude. So I went to her, her research has not been published, right? So it's, I can't cite to it or tell you exactly what it says or how to read it yet. But what she talks about is the impact of specific, authentic, timely appreciation for other people in the workforce and the absolute significant impact it has on workers. We also talked about this in a show about being about gratitude in the workplace. And so if we want to, to create a reality not people, not a feeling or a perception, but a reality of people mattering in the workplace, that they have dignity and their presence is meaningful. Like gratitude was like, it's such a great way to go about that. Yeah. Right. And so when I read this, I was like, oh, Dr. Jazeri, this is right up your alley. So, you know, people like Dr. Jazeri have been calling this out for a long time too, that these, that this, I, this, the, and I don't want to say the idea because it's not an idea. It's the reality of people mattering at work. Yeah. And right? yeah. And in this report, they say, you know, again, they hit pretty hard on gratitude and recognition mm-hmm. that when people feel appreciated and recognized and engaged by their supervisors and coworkers, their sense of value and meaning increases and then they can manage stress mm-hmm. better. And then they themselves become more complimentary and grateful for their coworkers. And you mm-hmm. create this kind of culture of gratitude and acknowledgement and, and um, that then kind of spirals up instead of spirals down. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a recent, yeah. speaking of, I had a recent conversation with someone, I think it was even yesterday, about how they said, you know, I, I've gotten some good kudos at work and I don't exactly know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with the good, the good jobs. And we talked about the difference between, you did a great job today and I appreciate the work you did on this thing I noticed mm-hmm. that you did, you know, X, Y, and Z, and the impact mm-hmm. on me was, you know, like, and you made my job easier, and I noticed, you know, your coworkers were also happy. So the difference between good job and specific feedback about a very specific thing coupled with, you know, a description of how that impacted me as an individual, that feels much more meaningful. And so getting good at giving praise that's specific and timely is something that we can all practice. And I think we, we did an episode on gratitude. Yeah. And be, how being grateful can change your work reality. So go listen to that. If you want even more information <laughs> about how to be grateful. 
And unlike the next one on the list, you know, gratitude is free, right? It costs nothing. But what he, what the Surgeon General's report also calls out is the importance of providing a living wage. And you talked about this, Krina, that only a, that a third of workers are making less than $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I have decided in my in my what when I'm trying to figure out compensation is I want to be able to look across my competitors and I want to be at the highest or almost highest or or, or the highest level. Like I want to be right up at the very top of wages because I want the people that work for me to know that this job is that important. Your work is that important. Um we reward good work, right? So some things, you know, in order to kind of create dignity and meaning and, and, and communicating to employees that they do matter, it is about money sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, the money well spent because you have happy mm-hmm. workers who stick around, who are motivated, who can carry forth your um, brand, your reputation, your um, pers- the perception of you and your business in the community too. Mm-hmm. So it there is yeah. again this spiral up. It and I'm going to say it again. It really feels different. The workplaces that are able to do this, support their workers. Have the, have them you know make, ensure that they feel like they matter that they belong that they have meaningful work mm-hmm. that they're respected that they are um, treated well. It's palpable. You know it. You know it when you walk into a workplace like that. And well, you have a ton of experience with that, Krina. Like you see so many more. You see so much more of so many workplaces. I see a lot of workplaces, but not to the depth you do. And it's good to hear. Like this is what I believe. Like I believe what you're saying. You know, I believe yeah. you that workplaces that do these things feel really different. But it's really good to hear that from you because that's what you do all day long: is dig into workplaces and see how things are going. Right? Yeah. So. It's just good feedback for the rest of us that, yeah, do these things and you do create a culture of dignity and meaning and mattering. Right. And you do support people's mental health, which will help Mm -hmm. them, you know, and will help you. I do say uh, frequently, like part of my job is to just peek behind the curtain of businesses in, you know, and it's, it is interesting Mm -hmm. what you see behind the curtain. And as you know, it's also interesting kind of what you feel when you walk in. Um, it's also interesting what you see when you look at things like personnel manuals and budgets and um, meeting schedules, etc. And to me, I'm always looking for where are my where are the values of this business? How do the values in this business manifest in sort of how they do their work? And this last element of the from the Surgeon General shows up in these kind of foundational documents um, or practices that I look at, you know, and that is, do we provide opportunities for growth? Do we provide an opportunity for learning and accomplishment and advancement here? Do we have a line item in our budget for trainings and education and mentoring? Do our personnel manuals, does our personnel manual come across as punitive and restrictive or open and, um, I don't know what the right word is, you know, not punitive and restrictive. Collaborative. Collaborative. Open and collaborative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do we have um, regular meetings and check-ins where we can, you know, give feedback and collaborate on um, work or is it, are we all siloed, you know, and, you know, again, Surgeon General saying when you can provide opportunities for growth when you can, you know, foster clear pathways for advancement, when you can ensure, you know, relevant feedback in your workplace, again, you are creating um, the opportunity for people to have a different feeling, like to have a more positive mm-hmm. impact on their mental health. That's what I was trying to say. Sometimes I find a, myself an like... An environment that fosters, yeah, an environment that fosters mental health. Yes. Wellness. Mental health and wellness. I was going to say a minute ago, sometimes I find myself just like down these sentence pathways. And then I'm in this like, (laughs) (laughs) 
Like this new four. I've walked down a sentence pathway. You know, yeah. What? You always get there. You always get there. Now, I always have faith. I'm like, there's going to be richness at the end of this sentence and it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. If I can okay, remember what I was is- trying to say, that's my problem sometimes. <laughs> you know what? This one has been tough for me in a small workplace, frankly. Mm. And so I have, um, I have taken the approach of asking people what they want to learn. Oh yeah. Like pick something you want to learn this year. Here's a budget. How do you want to spend it? So even though I don't feel like I've got great opportunities for advancement, you know, the law is super structured, right? It's like, it's just, and we're very small. So I've defaulted to say, you know, what do you want to learn this year? What, what are you interested in doing differently? Like something for the future, right? And I think that as individual employees, I love it when my employees come to me and say, I want to learn this. And what was so great about seeing this in the report, it's not like I've always really, I mean, I've kind of thought of it as an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, people should have an opportunity to learn something new. But I really didn't realize this is the one part of the report that I think was surprising to me was the level of importance on um, growth, right? Yeah. On growth. That was just learning and accomplishment. I was like, I just kind of saw it as like, oh, yeah, like you want to provide health benefits to your employees. That's really important. And sure, it's important, right? Yeah. But, but this report raises this up to be right up there with connection and belonging, right? Right. Right up there with protection. Which that was, this was a surprising part to me. Huh. I love that. And they I like how they couched that, you know, learning opportunities for learning and growth can also be um, provided simply by having direct access to your supervisor regularly. So mm-hmm. I can grow in my job when I have a regular check in and I understand how to tweak this thing I've been doing this rote task I've been doing for a while, how to tweak it, you know, and make it more effective or, Mm -hmm. you know, when I have, um, an opportunity to kind of maybe sit with a coworker and hear about how my work and their work combines together. And you know what I mean? Learn, learn new skills or tasks, even within the small office. So I loved that it wasn't just, you know, send people to training programs. Um, but you know, that it was again, like learning from each other, engaging in your, Mm -hmm. in it with your supervisor, engaging with your team and continuing to improve yourself and your work. Um, yeah. yeah. Hey, do you mind be, I I don't know kind of what else you were thinking about chatting about, but I know that we've covered all five and I want to just, can I just recap the titles for folks? Cause sometimes I like, you know, I need signposts. So the five essential the five essentials for workplace mental health and well-being are protection from harm, connection and community, work-life harmony, mattering, feeling like you matter at work, and having opportunities for growth. That to me when you know we kind of say it all together, that, that feels so good. Doesn't it, doesn't it just feel like warm and yummy and why shouldn't it? Like what is, why shouldn't the workplace feel like this? Right. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't it welcoming, warm, nurturing, um, affirming who we are as people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Supportive, connected, etc. It, kind of acknowledging all of who we are and all of the obligations we have in the world, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this Surgeon General says in that letter, you know, we have an unprecedented opportunity to examine the role of work in our lives and explore ways to better enable all workers to thrive within the workplace and beyond. And I think that's true. And I think that the, the more of us as leaders and workers who embrace this, the more we will impact positively impact not just the workplace but as he says beyond our commu- into our communities into our families into the rest of our lives which is really what it's about right cuz mm-hmm. work is work I, I work's work it, it, it's work is work but what i i think that to kind of riff on what you're saying is that there is this 
unprecedented opportunity to turn what is clearly a crisis, by all data, it's a crisis, into a moment of progress. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And um, I just, it just gets me so excited and slightly emotional and all of the things about the Surgeon General bringing this to the attention of our country's of our country to say mental health and work, right? Mm -hmm. I I just, between his sweet story about his family and their connection and community and meaning out of work and his kind of characterization of this about turning a crisis, this moment of crisis into this great opportunity for progress. Okay, that's, I'm in. I'm, I'm so in, Dr. Murphy. I'm so in. We're in. And we've been in. Thank you. I mean, welcome. We're glad you joined us. I feel welcome like we've, been, party, we've been in for five years. I know, exactly. And we're going to continue to be in and we're going to model it. We're going to model it in the workplaces that we interact with. And we're going to coach and cajole and help the people that you and I both connect. And we're going to continue to connect with our listener about these things because this is where it's at, folks. It's really where it's at. It's how yeah. we get ease, meaning, and joy right here. It's supporting ourselves, the whole human, and tackling this mental health, the need for more um, attention to, towards mental health in the workplace. Um, I feel like I got what I needed out of this. How about you? You know, I really enjoyed this, and I want to thank you for bring, like, for showing me this. Like, you were the one that found this, and it's just been really great and super heartening and really uplifting to read this and to work on this with you. So, yeah, let's go out there and get us some ease, meaning, and joy, sister. Yeah, sounds awesome. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks for doing the show, KB. Yep, you too. And thanks, listeners, for listening. And, yeah, get out there and get yourself some ease, meaning, and joy and some more well-being at work. Whoop whoop. <laughs> Bye. Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,